Forge 103.9, a new sound. Welcome back to Real Talk. It is your host, Mr. Matt Munoz, and I have a very special guest in studio. I am joined by Wilfredo Cruz, Jr., who is the Energy Program Administrator at Community Action Partnership of Kern, also known as CAPK. You know, there's a lot of acronyms in the nonprofit world. So, Wilfredo, how are you doing? Hey, good morning, or is it already <laughs> afternoon? Oh, my gosh. It's <laughs> afternoon. I've been running nonstop. I know, I know. We've been trying to get this uh, thing all scheduled out, and you're like, hold on a second. Can I come over this time? Can I come over this time? I said, you know what, bro? You're in the nonprofit world, and the nonprofit world, there are no times to, to set. It's just like, if they need you, they need you, right? I'm telling you, between state meetings, federal meetings, meeting with the agencies in the community, meeting with your own employees, meeting with staff, meeting with your boss, it's like, you know, these things never stop. So he's got to find the time and place to do it. That's Absolutely. All. But we're going to have some fun with this. So, uh, okay, so full disclosure, Wilfredo and I have known each other for a while, both as in social circles. We've worked on, uh, we've worked on nonprofit boards together. Uh, we're just friends. We're both CSUB alumni. And I heard you're going to be, you're in the master's program. I am in the master's program. Wow. So, yes, I am master's program. I, uh, after this next week, I'll be a third of the way done with the, with the program. Oh, my gosh, man. I'm yeah. so proud of you, bro. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. So, so, man, we got a lot of catching up to do. Uh, so life is treating you obviously well. you got this great position over there at CAPK. Um, well, let's talk about CAPK because if you're from Kern County, uh, chances are – you know, there might be a chance that maybe you are familiar with CAPK in a, in a number of ways, whether you have uh, benefited from some of the services at CAPK, you work in the nonprofit world, in the nonprofit sector, um, or you just live around here. You see the signs when you're going over the overpasses and you see those signs, CAPK, CAPK, CAPK. What is CAPK? So CAPK is a nonprofit here in the community. It's a community action partnership started back in the 1960s by Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, there are a number of them, and I can't remember the exact number. Uh, I have to, there's hundreds of them in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, here in California, I believe we're probably the fourth biggest uh, cap or the fifth, somewhere in there. But, you know, and we only fall behind places like mm-hmm. San Diego, L.A., San Francisco. Uh, so we help low-income families. I mean, that's the end of it. So we meet people at their needs. There are now 20 programs that we have at Cap K. Uh, most people are familiar with the two biggest, which is Head Start yeah. and the food banks, which mm-hmm. do amazing work in the community and are very involved. Well, Energy Program is right behind, uh, and we just we help in two different ways. We have utility assistance, uh, assistance where we can help clients, you know, pay the utility bills, whether it's uh, uh, PG&E, mm-hmm. SoCal Gas, SoCal Edison, uh, propane as well, and then also uh, here until March, the water utility assistance bill. So if the water, different water dishes in, in Kern County, people can mm-hmm. apply and get those, you know, bills paid for. Now it is based on qualifications and and, and low income um, families are, are what qualifies for this. And then we go, you know, look at the income of the families and who's living at the home. But it's an amazing program. And a lot of funds are are being, are being pushed now to Kern County for us to assist families with. And that's just one side. Yeah, we got weatherization. Now we come in and we and we basically repair homes. Uh, get homes uh, so they're a little. They have less energy burden. So simple. I mean, and when we say we're going to go through them and do these things, it's not everybody gets the same kind of services. We go, we do assessments, we look at numbers, we have uh, you know certain calculations we have to do. But this is as basic as weather stripping, as you know replacing uh, fans, lights. But we can do all, almost every single appliance in the home, including uh, you know uh, the heaters, coolers, uh, AC units, uh, complete insulation, wall, ceiling, uh, attic. Um, windows, doors. I mean, and when I say appliances, I'm talking about washers, dryers, your ovens, uh, your your stovetops, cooktops, hoods. So 
it's it's a lot. We do a lot. Oh, a lot yeah. of work. <laughs> and, and, wow, that is a lot. Yeah, what's interesting is this year's been very big for the program. I'm very proud of our team. Mm-hmm. Um, we will approximately have paid out close to probably around $16 million worth of um, utility bills for wow. the residents of Kern County, and we will approximately have weatherized about almost 200 homes by the end of 2023. Your role, I mean, are you kind of like, do people come to you first? Or, the, you know, I mean, like, how does that work? Kind of take me into your world as a, right here at CapK. Yeah, so I'm, first of all, I'm very blessed to have a good team, have a good management team. So the program is divided, and it's, I'd say it's two separate sides of the program. It's all considered energy, right? So I have my, my, my uh, management staff that, you know, addresses most of the questions and most of the issues. But for, for me, I'm more of the overhead, right? So I'm looking at, you know, what's coming up in the future. What do contracts look like? You know, who do we need to partner with in the community? Uh, you know, budgeting. I work with our, our fiscal administrator to make sure, you know, our budgets are on point because obviously federal funds have a lot of red tape. And uh, you got to be careful how you spend them because we're audited. We're audited about four to five times a year by different agencies. So, yeah, it's no joke. I mean, and I'll tell you this, too. And, I mean, this is all public information. Mm-hmm. If you go to – anybody can go to the, the uh, public meetings they have for the, yeah. for the board. Um, KEPK on our website. You can actually yep. find the Kep-K. information. Yep, you can go there. And it's it's, mon- it's monthly meetings. Uh, so it's the, – the work that's done, you know, our audits come out almost dang near – Super clean. I mean, yeah. I hate to say we're not perfect, but we have, first off, a very dedicated staff um, who's who's there and who cares about the community. And two, we have very knowledgeable staff who's mm-hmm. been there. You know, the strength of a company organization really comes down to its staff. And obviously, what's the work environment like? Uh, you know, what's the knowledge like? Have people been there? Have they stayed there? And again, we're very blessed uh, at our energy program to have staff that's very knowledgeable, been there for a while, and is really good at what they do. So not a lot comes up to me. Like I said, I'm just looking at the state, looking at the federal level, um, you know, determining what team's needs are, you know. Uh, Teamwork makes the dream work. Oh, 100%. (laughs) I say, you know, anytime we know that we're giving credit either at state level or by local officials, Mm -hmm. it's always, you know, thanks to the team because without them, we don't exist. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Wilfredo Cruz Jr., who is the Energy Program Administrator at Community Action Partnership of Kern, also known as CAPK. Okay, so let's kind of look at, well, how long have you been at CAPK? It'll be three years, January 9th. Three years, wow. Okay, so like I said, I've known Wilfredo for many years, and one of the things I've always interested in, I love to kind of hear about uh, a lot of these young, these young people, about their career development. Because I was a young professional at one time. Now I'm kind of at a, I'm at a nice, comfortable mm. segment of my career and my life. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's once you get out of college, you got that degree, and you kind of you're asking the questions. You kind of have all these kind of like dreams or aspirations of what you're going to do. I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to school for. This is what's happening. But let me ask you this: When you entered the kind of like the kind of the, the next tier of your professional world, because I remember when I first met you, you had a different occupation. You were kind of working something else. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you're into the nonprofit world sector, which is a completely different from the job that you had previously. Uh, how was that? Like, let, let's talk about your career development, like post school, but now you're getting your master's, mm-hmm. but you are once a just a regular student at CSUB. Yeah. You come out, you start working. Let's talk <laughs> about that little trajectory to the present. Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, I got my bachelor's um, around 2010 mm-hmm. when the economy was kind of, uh, there was, I think it wasn't, the Great Recession, I think it was at that time, yeah. where there was a lot of issues with the marketing, the the, the market, the house market, and uh, obviously that, you know, split out to 
other markets as well, industries. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard to get a job. Um, I, one thing I say about college, I would tell everybody, go to college. Go to college because if at minimum, it's something they can never take away from you is your education mm-hmm. and it's an accomplishment. Yeah. Um, so it, I, as a young man, undergraduate, it, it, I enjoyed it, but I was more interested in being involved in organizations. So I was in a bunch of different organizations within, within uh, Cal State and I wasn't necessarily trying to get A's in all my classes because I realized, you know what, like networking is just as important. You need to meet people, you need to go out there and, and become involved, especially, you know, in the place that you live and the people you work with, you're going to see the rest of your life. Uh, so when I graduated, it, it was kind of rough. Couldn't really find a job. I first landed at State Farm. At State Farm, yeah. and I was, yeah, I was an auto uh, an investigator there, a specialist. Was there for about nine years. And, you know, the whole, well, it's, you know, Older now, but they moved out, right? They left. Uh, I remember when they moved in right off of the mm-hmm. old river. Yep. That was that was huge. So yep. if you rem- if you remember back in those those business news days that you would read about when State Farm moved to Bakersfield, that was huge over there off of Old River, right? Yep. And I believe so that the, was their main one. It was the eighties, I think. Right? I think when that happened, they built that building was in yeah. the mid mid late. Well, there was a, there was a time, it, and you people, OGs like myself, you remember when the Dole Citrus was over there. In that same area, because hmm. one of my sister used to work for Dole Citrus, which was huge. When Dole Citrus moved out, I believe State Farm moved into, into that building. Hmm. So those buildings, that building, that kind of office plaza right off there of uh, Old River, has been a home to some huge corporations. Mm-hmm. And I remember when State Farm. So you were part of that kind of the, the final, the last wave. Of exactly. State Farm. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So I was there, and uh, I had a. An epiphany in life. Some stuff started happening in life. You know, going through a lot of stress, figuring out. You know, okay, well, you know, I'm I'm in my uh, early 30s, but I think I have more to give to the world than what I'm, you know, giving here. Uh, so I, my mother actually suggested I was going through a tough time in life, and she actually said, uh, you know, uh, in life when I've gone through tough times, uh, what helped me was helping others. And I thought, huh, well, what does that mean? I got no no answer. She just said, think about it. I remember that's when I joined my first nonprofit, which was ProSpanica. Yeah. Yeah, ProSpanica. Yeah, with Nancy Solis. Yeah, with Nancy Solis. Yeah. yeah. She's a friend of the show. She's been over here before. Yep. Great. And we, we served on the CSUB Alumni uh, Association Board of Directors. She was the former president. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's where I really, so I was working at State Farm and I got involved in that. And, you know, I realized because that, that's tailored towards, you know, younger adults and their education and moving forward, both in professional and, and in school. And I realized, you know what, I really enjoy just being involved in, in an organization that's there to assist other people. And mainly, um, you know, younger generation, a younger generation, younger, you know, younger kids. And from there, you know, I got involved uh, with 2030, Active 2030 Club of Bakersfield, where I served all the way up to a president and passed active and all that. And that uh, nonprofit is pretty amazing because they exist to serve, you know, the underprivileged children of Kern County. Yeah, they do a lot of great work. Yes, a lot of great work. And everything we did was, you know, for those children. So we got to go to events where we took kids shopping. You know, just this past uh, Saturday was a Christmas experience where we shopped um, and wrapped presents for over 300 families. And I think this Saturday we're coming up, we're going to deliver them. Fantastic. And in the summer they have um, a back-to-school shopping event. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that I think in the past, and like, numbers could be off, but we... Up to about 200, 250 kids, I remember. Um, so those kind of events, you see you're making a real touch in the community and, and uh, touching the community. And like, you know, this is pretty awesome, you know, because I personally was very blessed to have a, a good mentor. And I came from Puerto Rico. Um, I came from Puerto Rico. Uh, so I live, I was born here, but I left out there 
came back, uh, I believe I was 15 years old, and I was blessed enough to have a, a good mentor. And that mentor actually set me on what would be the path of my life. He helped me. He actually got me into weightlifting, got me into talking about sports. I mean, to, you know, making sure my road was straight when I was at a time in my life where I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. So in that process, and I look back now, and Elia Rivera, if you're listening, shout out to you. That's my that's my cousin. Uh, so in that, pro- in that whole process, of, as I've matured, I said, you know what, there are a lot of youth, underprivileged youth, uh, who need somebody there to show them love, to be compassionate, to say, you know what, there's somebody here who guides you. So I really enjoyed mentoring. So again, all this coming together, you know, I get an opportunity, um, being involved in these different nonprofits and a few other ones that I was mm-hmm. involved in, to uh, get a job to interview, or get an opportunity to interview for this job, you know. Yeah. Um and now we're here three years later, and between this and everything else, I've kind of been involved with the community. It's amazing. Uh, I like to think it's my calling, you know, um, and I, I think you're blessed in life if you're able to find what your calling is and, and what your, you know, your purpose is in life. And I'll tell you what, um, and I tell this to everybody, and this isn't just because I'm trying to stick out to my company. I'll be three years January 9th. There's not been one day that I have not wanted to go to work or be inside to actually go to work and see what we can do. And I, with all my heart, I, I, I promise you that. Yeah, well, I will say this as somebody who knows you personally, like I could see you doing this job because I know a little bit about your humble, very humble beginnings. Like you said, you are from Puerto Rico, but you are you are an east sider. Mm-hmm. You're kind of raised in the east side. Yeah, my first So years. You've, you've had some really humble beginnings. So tell me a little bit about your family life, and, yeah. you know, upbringing. So, you know, I was born in Kerr Medical. Shout out to Kerr Medical. Mm-hmm. I lived the first <laughs> uh, years of my life on Flower Street. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I was out there. And even growing up, you know, a lot of my family is in Lamont and Arvin. I mean, you know, a lot of the Puerto Ricans. Yeah. Uh, I've yeah. Always, I've always, let me ask you this. So, yeah. so you think of Lamont. First thing I always think of is the Puerto Ricans, which I found out a lot through Chincho Madero, who's yeah. formerly owner of the Dome. Yep. He's like, oh, yeah, well, you know about the Puerto Ricans over there. And I didn't know because Marcos Reyes, also my my, my compa, yeah. you know, percussionist, he also told me all about it. Yep. So bring me into a little bit of that world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what, what ended up happening was, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of field work here in the Central Valley, and a lot of Puerto Ricans made their way over from the island uh, west. And actually, a lot of them actually kept going to Hawaii, which I asked my parents, Mom and Dad, why didn't you guys keep going? We could have been Hawaiian, Puerto Rican. I mean, two islanders mixed. That would have been amazing. Oh, yeah. But but they, a lot of land here, and, you know, they sent for their family, and they were used to agricultural work because that's what they're doing in Puerto mm-hmm. Rico. So that started happening, I believe, in the 50s. Um, and you had a lot of families coming here to a point. Well, you had a Puerto Rican society. I mean, you had all the traditions. They played. Um, I think it was it was bola. It was like a it was a version of loteria that was from um, Puerto Rico. They ran the numbers from uh-huh. over there. They had you know they had the, the the traditions, their dances. You know, even into the '90s, I would go out there as a child and um, I go to the Puerto Rican parties. I mean, they were they were wild, but they were parties yeah. and everybody was out there dancing salsa till three or four o'clock in the morning. I remember, you know. Us Hispanic kids will sit there and sit in the corner, you know, in the morning to morning hours. Our parents are dancing yeah. and having a good time. And, and it was, you know, it's just those memories of the food, the music, the smells that, you know, I, I cherish. Um, it's not it's not as prevalent anymore um, it's because those families have kind of moved out. They're still there, but they've kind of moved out and they've spread out. And now, obviously, 
Uh, you know, the area having a lot more Mexican Americans, the cultures have become very intertwined. Yeah, which is that's, amazing. That's a, that's a balance. There is it's, a balance. It's a balance. Because yeah, yeah I mean, uh, you know, I for the longest time, like you've always been very proud to be Puerto Rican. And uh, you're very, you're definitely very in tune. <laughs> like you've shown me a lot of stuff. You, you very, you go to. I know you go to the Puerto Rican festivals. You've sang. Yeah. Wilfredo yep. is also a very good singer, by the way. He sings salsa, traditional salsa. He sings a little bit of everything. He's great on stage. He's got that presence. So you know, I think that's one of the reasons why we get along so well because we have our, we have our day gig and we have our night gig and yeah. then we have our let's go have some fun gig. Yeah. You know, and so we've been, we've been, uh, I've been really blessed to, to for for our friendship. So. Wonderful trajectory. Love hearing your story about your career de- development, the humble beginnings. Education is key. You're surrounded. You're talking about your mom, you know, and the mentors in your life and the people and the experiences and the kind of like the awakenings that you've had as a young professional. But let's talk about some a little bit lighter as we already ta- kind of uh, tapped into a thing about your, your Puerto Rican uh, culture and Puerto Rican heritage. We're at the holidays. Mm-hmm. Here we are. Christmas is just a week away. Let's talk about Holidays with La Familia Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what goes on? What goes on? What are the Puerto Rican traditions at Christmas? So I'll tell you, man. It, you know, it, center, it centers around food. I mean, I'm telling you right now. Uh, but you are also a great chef if you if you follow people listening out there and they go, oh, you know, they're probably yelling at the, yelling at the radio. Hey, he's a cook, by the way. <laughs> it's funny. People still ask me, hey, so that cooking show you have, are you going to bring it back? I was like, no, no, I'm just, I'm way too busy. But I still get down in the kitchen because you have to. Uh, no, but it, it really starts in the kitchen, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom and my dad are actually real good cooks. Uh, my mom buried my dad, if you're listening, sorry. But it's true, my mom's a cook. <laughs> so, you know, we arroz con gandulas, the pernil, los pasteles. I mean, don't even start me with, uh, my favorite dessert is the pantela, which is like a little thick cake with, with a spread of guava and cream cheese in the middle and some powdered sugar on top. It's, oh, it's amazing. Pantera. Pa- like- pant- pantela. Pantela, not yeah. Pantera. I was also no. like a panther. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it, let me see. It kind of sounds maybe almost like uh, the Puerto Rican version of a tres leches cake. No. 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 no because, not at all. because not. It's, there's not. There's it's no not liquid. It's oh, not moist. Okay. No. Think of it more as of a pound cake, but it has a little different flavor and it has that guava and cream cheese mm-hmm. in the middle. You know, it's funny because uh, Portos, right? Yeah. Everybody loves Portos. Everybody's like, oh, I love that guava and cream cheese strudel and turnover. I'm like, well. And we do it too. Yeah. You know? So, so it's really the guava. The gua- and actually, growing up, when you go visit a family, uh-huh. you know, often you were served guava and cheese on the same plate. I mean, that's just you know, you get that when you visit a family, at funerals, at the you know, at weddings. It just it was yeah. very common. So, you know, it starts there. Then obviously our music, man. There's so much stuff, and I gotta have so many songs. I, I just grow up. I remember now the traditional Puerto Rican music um, is actually called uh, Aguinaldos. I don't know if you've looked into that. Oh, no, no, no. Because yeah. I always thought of, uh, uh, like, uh, Bomba Plena. Yeah. The Bomba Plena is, is one of the rhythms. Well, okay. Bomba Plena is one of, is, came from Africa, okay. right? So for people who don't know much about Puerto Rican, let me explain this real quick. Mm-hmm. You have your, your Taino Indian, yeah. which was a native Indian of Puerto Rico before anybody arrived, which is a subset of the Arawak Nation. Uh, then you have your uh, Spaniards, obviously they came over and took over, you know, half the world. And then you had you know, your Africans who were brought over for the sugarcane work and the coffee work. Um, so... 
the Africans brought over a lot of, you know, the bomba, the plena, the Congo, the the percussion. Yeah. I mean, and you're you you know yeah, all this. The clave. Yeah, the clave. <laughs> you know this. This is all yeah. your world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm I'm listening to you, bro. Yeah. So so they brought that <laughs> over and it incorporated it into the music. Now every culture, every part of the culture, whether it's the food, whether it's the the way that that um, there's some there's different words that come from the you know from different parts of of what is uh, the different ethnicities or yeah. calm. Uh, nationalities uh-huh. uh, that make up Puerto Rico as a whole. So it's funny because, you know, I ran my my uh, my 23 and Me, and I was curious because I'm like, hmm, I wonder how much, you know, of each part am I still, because realistically, you're probably going to be 85% Spaniard. I mean, at this point, right? Yeah, it's kind of, you know, yeah through, definitely. I mean, look at us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I was surprised. I actually came back. I was uh, 22% African and 20% Indian. I was like, Okay, and and it showed right in the island. There were parts where I had my family, and you know where I know I have other family. Like, well, you have direct connection to the to the Isla, so yeah, oh yeah. I can see oh yeah. that. I can oh see yeah. that happening. Oh yeah, about fifty percent of my family still lives there. Yeah, yeah definitely. Oh, so, wow. when was the last time you visited Puerto Rico? Uh, we don't want to talk about that. It's bad. It's oh. bad. I have not been in a long time. You know, and and it's, I hope they're listening right now with the stream. Are <laughs> you listening to the podcast? <laughs> well, and I'll tell you, the, the, the bad thing is too is. Now, I've always been a workaholic, and I've never been the kind of, and I know this is horrible, people tell me, you know, screaming through the radio, take a vacation. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, three or four days, and I'm back at it, because I, I generally have a goal in my life, and I know where I want to get, and I have, I feel like, again, a, you know, a purpose-driven uh, a life that I live, um, but, God, I haven't been a protocol in a long time. I need to go back. I need to go back, yeah. because I have not been since I was a child. A child, oh, teens. Okay. So I had to go back there as an adult, you know, on my own, rediscover the island, go back to my, my family's off from Peñuelas, which is a little city, uh, central, uh, eastern part of the island by Ponce, which is the capital of Salsa in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Uh, I lived in Humacao. I want to go visit, the, I, mean, I want to visit the whole island. I just want oh, to yeah. go tour, man. So. I'll say a little little side note. So uh, one, well, one summer, uh, Wilfredo and I went to the Playboy Jazz Festival and he goes, hey, we had a great time. And he goes, hey, we're going to go have some real authentic Puerto Rican food. So when we were in Los Angeles, we went to this place, and was it called Mofongo? Mofongo. Mofongo, yeah. yeah. And so, and we had some Mofongo. Mm-hmm. So it was named. It was named after the dish. So mm-hmm. what is Mofongo? So Mofongo, and that's in Burbank, by the way. If anybody wants to check it out, it's on Lancashire Boulevard. It's a cool spot. I don't. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 I, and I, don't, I don't know. I don't know everybody there, but it's just it's it's an introduction. Yeah. It's an introduction. So Mofongo basically is plantain. It's plantains, and then. There's different ways you can make it. You know, sometimes they use pork rinds or, or you know, fresh cut pieces of pork and they grind it into the into the banana. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. boiled it. They which put is the which is the plantain is like it looks like a banana that you see, but it's not a banana. It's related to banana and would be like the what the Caribbean people would use for masa. Exactly. Exactly. So, our, so yeah. And that side note. So pastel, which is our Puerto Rican version of a tamal, the masa is mostly made out of, of that. Exactly, so boom. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, it's not, and just real quick for uh, for a. Uh, a profile on it. it's not sweet right it's not a sweet no. banana no. Um, it tastes almost more like a starch like yeah. a, like a potato kind of right it's in the similar flavor Consi- like that. Same, similar consistency the as well and it has multi-uses because there's tostones tostones you can f- oh, yeah. uh, fry it and you put some uh, uh, garlic on it yep but for yep. mofongo it's almost it's, it's used as kind of a foundation for yep. the dish right yep it's foundation for the dish and they put the pork in it you put your garlic your salt pepper anything else you want though in there and then you form that and then on top of that, usually it's a half dome kind of kind of thing. You put a half dome on the plate, and then after that, you put on what you want to do. You're doing shrimp, chicken, beef, or pork, and you just cook with all the spices. Of, you know that that are consistent with what's Puerto Rican cuisine, and you put it on top, man. And that oh, that's a that was delicious. That yeah. was that was a, that was a great time. And I love like LA. Like if you 
you know where like um, there's there's so many neighborhoods in LA, so mm-hmm. you know where like the, the, the Puerto Ricans are gonna maybe congregate over in this area, and you got Thai town, mm-hmm. you got Chinatown, you got all this Ethiopian town, like everything has all that. So th- that was a great experience. I have to go back over there, man. I hope it's still around. Uh, oh, it's still around. Yeah, it is? I I go every now and then, but it's still around. Oh, yeah. I mean, my mom's the best Puerto Rican cook I know. Oh, and so you don't, need, you, don't, you don't even need to go there. You can just say, Mom, want some mofongo? Yeah, yeah. But the thing nice. is, though, when you're in LA, you have friends out there, and they won't have any yeah. Puerto Rican food. All right, so well, how, how's your uh, pollo go si- pollo guisao? Pollo guisao is ah, delicious, yeah. man. Pollo so, guisao. So, so, so how's your dish? Ah, so I'm telling how's you, how's it right rate? Now, it self rate. <laughs> and you know, well, I, I think I'm a dang chef, so I mean, I'm gonna I'm give I'm gonna give it a nine point two. Uh, oh, yeah, but you know, it's funny. I I, I love cooking. I love cooking for mm-hmm. friends and family, and um, have got no bad reviews yet. Even when I say be honest, because you know what, if you're not honest with me, I make it like this every single time. So if you don't like it, you gotta let me yeah, know. What's def- up? Definitely the quality of a proud boricua. Bro, you gotta <laughs> represent. You gotta represent. Hey, I always say yo soy boricua, pa que tú lo sepa. Yo soy boricua. Come on. Now. That's what I'm saying. All right, so you know, so many, so many great Latinos. I mean, like I love, uh, you know, all the funny all star stuff. You know, Willie Colon and and Hector Lavoe and all. The, I mean, mm-hmm. Tito Puente. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Like all, all the great uh, Puerto Rican singers. What, what's your favorite? Uh, let's see. Let me ask you two questions. What's your kind of like at the top of your list of like your all time favorite? You know. Latin tune, which has like the roots in in Puerto Rico and like to the Bronx and, and everything like that. Man, there there's just God, there's so much. I mean, there really is so much. Uh, What's the first one you think? Because if I could, I, we could go, we could do toe to toe on top ten list. Damn. All right, give me give me your top three. My top three. So I'd have to say, if you're talking about traditional salsa, mm-hmm. first off, anything by Celia Cruz. Celia Cruz. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. God, I can think. So. La Fania Albashi, which is, incorporates a lot of those artists. Um, and, and you know, and this might be partial, but Ismael Rivera. Yeah. You talk about, you said earlier, Hector Lavoe. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Did Ismael Rivera do um, El Preso? Diablo de la Presión. Was that that or was that Frucos y Sutesos? Uh, oh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I think it is Fruko y Sutesos. So that, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Who, but I know, and I know the songs by Ismael Rivera. What was the, what was kind of one of his standards? He did a lot of them. He did a lot of them. Yeah, and I'm I'm blanking right now, but he did a lot of them. Uh, my gosh! Well, was, look it up. Ismael Rivera. Ismael Rivera. One of the greatest uh, Puerto Rican singers of all time. He's, he's right up there in the kind of the pantheon of the greats, along with Hector Lavoe. Yep. Like yep. Yeah. And my gosh, now, you know you're asking me this, and now I'm blanking. Mm-hmm. And now because I even though I listen to that stuff, a lot of my stuff starts in the '90s. Yeah, that's true. That's true. When. Definitely when the uh, the Latin music kind of craze started to happen within, like, the American audiences. Mm-hmm. Like, all that stuff from the 60s and the 70s, of course, is the, the, the stuff that the parent your parents knew mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. you grew up listening mm-hmm. to. It's like big band jazz for me and my, and my parents. But when you get into the 90s, when you start seeing, like, oh, Victor Manuel and Tito Nieves and a lot of those singers start to come up. And then, of course, Ricky Martin kind of crosses over into the pop world, which wasn't salsa. Right. But it was just kind of like it, it bridged those those worlds. Well, right? and, that, and that's the thing. Yes. And, and, you know, you have so you have what's called salsa de, de salon, which mm-hmm. is what you're talking about, yeah. which is that traditional. You have salsa romantica. Yeah. Now, you know, I like R&B. Oh, yeah. yeah I yeah. like ballads. So for me, you know, first off, I mean, have your opinion on him, whatever you want. Mark Anthony. I've oh. seen him sing three times. This guy sings opera. He has an amazing voice. 
Um, so you have Mark Anthony, you have Frankie Ruiz, you have Ray Ruiz, Richard yeah. Manuel, Gilberto Santa Rosa. Oh uh, my gosh, you have La India, you have Brenda K. Star, which is another Oscar singer. de Leon. Oscar de Leon, Ooh, yeah, 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 from South America. Yeah, yeah, yeah Los Adolescentes. Yeah. Los, Los, Los you know, you know what's funny? <laughs> I, went to a, I went to a salsa show uh, in summer, and it was a crazy lineup. Oh, and oh my God, Jerry Rivera. Oh, for yeah, me, yeah. I met him uh, at the hotel was and he was there. Yeah. It was it was it was, tri- was tripping out. It was cool because growing up, that's what I really listened to a lot of. You know, obviously the stuff in the you know in the sixties, seventies, and and um, early eighties was I, I listened to it because my parents listened to it. Yeah. But when I really started listening to music, and I think really what it comes down to is I sing that stuff. Yeah. So because I sing it, I'm like you know what I want to get I want to mimic you know what they mm-hmm. sounded like. Um, but yeah, all uh, that. Uh, let me see the uh, Ralph Mercado, Ralph Mercado, Ida yep. M M. Who yep. was that? Was that label? Yep. That it, I mean, it was like the Def Jam of salsa, right? Yep. And yep. had all the artists like India, everybody. Wow, just amazing bands, and mm-hmm. they would just pump out stuff. It was like a Motown for for salsa music, for salsa right? Music. They were yeah. just pumping out releases all the time. And I remember when the Latin music craze, like it started to open my eyes to a lot of that, because then it was like I, I remember uh, Mongo Santa Maria and all those classic artists. But then you start seeing the newer stuff, and that kind of opened the doors for Buena Vista Social Club, yeah. uh, Spanish like Harlem them. Orchestra, everything like that. And so you bridge, you brought those two islands together as far as music, yeah. Puerto Rico and Cuba. Yep. And it was just a wild, amazing time. But it, we learned so much. I mean, it, it had a big influence on me. And you start being, you start being really proud of where you came from. The span. I mean, my family's from Mexico, but. Salsa, Latin music is a universal sound between all our cultures, mm-hmm. and so you start. I want to start. I want to start learning how to sing in Spanish, and you start seeing like how you just warm up when you sing it. I love singing in Spanish. My sp- Spanish speaking may not be the best, however, you know when I'm singing it, it just flows out because it's like a very natural thing. I've been told my whole life when you sing Spanish, you can tell the difference when you speak English, and I said, well, because in Spanish, it's, I just feel more passionate. And I don't know what, yeah. but the music is just. First off, the the lyrics just they just flow very better. poetic, poetic, very which, poetic yeah. which makes sense because it is it's a romantic language, right? Uh, English isn't a romantic language, yeah. Um, but and I, I've sung in both, but it's just man, it, it's something about singing that song, all these romantic songs in Spanish. Yeah. So it, you can't you can't sing salsa in German, or could you? <laughs> oh, oh, that would that would be very very rough. Hey, well That'd look at look rough. at Orquesta de la Luz from Japan. They sing in Spanish, so perfect. It's very phonetic. But it's, I mean, those that band is amazing. Orquesta de la Luz, if you're, if you're, if you're a fan of, if you've listened to Salsa Music, you probably know who we're talking mm-hmm. about. Nora, who's a singer from Orquesta de la Luz. Mm-hmm. Amazing band. From Japan. Yeah, from, from Japan. Japan. Yeah, yeah. Every, everybody in their group is, is Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when you sing, you wouldn't be able to. They to love it, man. It. I think it's like in Japan, when they say big in Japan, it's because they love things more than we love ourselves because we're just so used to it. We're so jaded. Well, I'll tell you what. It's interesting. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's interesting because uh, in the craze, in the salsa craze of the mm-hmm. 70s, it became very big in Asia. And actually now you see salsa clubs all over the world. I mean, it's, it's well, and more because it's competition. A lot of people learn how to, you know, and you go to different cities, different countries, they all have little styles. Even in the United States, you have, it's funny because I was talking to a few of my friends who were instructors. You have your New York style of salsa, you have your LA style, you have yep. your Houston style, you have your Miami style. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a style. I just want to dance, man. I mean, you, you've seen this. Oh, yeah. You, you guys start playing. We just start dancing. Yeah, man. you just want to dance. You want to dance and they bridge because there's, there's, because, uh, you know, of course, like around here, Cumbia is very, is overwhelming, easy to dance to. So you don't know how to, you don't have to know salsa dancing. You have to take lessons yep. for it unless yep. you're just born into it and you've just always danced it your whole life. But even, even some people, even some Cubans, Puerto Ricans, it doesn't automatically know. You're not actively 
you know how to dance salsa. No. But cumbia is very easy for everybody to dance to. But it's almost it's almost like the because that's also it's from Colombia. Some cumbia is from Colombia. Mm-hmm. It still has that bomba sound. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. it all comes from Africa, man. Yeah. yeah. You ever see the um, the documentary uh, when we were kings? It was when uh, Muhammad Ali fought in Africa, and so what they did was did a concert in the stadium. And they brought the Fania All Stars. They brought James Brown. They brought oh BB King, oh, like hey. all these huge the black music legends, you know, went over there. But when the Fania All Stars played over, then Sailor Cruz comes out. There. I mean, they're playing like in Africa. They're they're all going back home, and you just see the people. People are dancing, but at this time, it's still you know we are worlds apart. There is there is a there's a, almost a disconnect. But the thing that binds them together is the. Is the, is the music and it was like the music comes from Africa man yeah. you know what I'm saying yeah. there's no disputing that yeah. funk James Brown it's like mm-hmm. that was a, it's a beautiful moment you ever get a chance to see see that and it's that it's, there's the full concert of the Fania All Stars and Fania in Africa because uh, even Jorge Santana mm-hmm. Carlos's brother played with to, to, played with the Fania All Stars for, for many years I did not know that and he's playing in that it's just amazing, man. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's really that's interesting. That's amazing. Oh, man, we could keep on talking about all this. But listen, if you are just joining me right now, I'm joined by my friend. He's a community leader. He's very active in the community. Uh, Wilfredo Cruz, Jr. He is the Energy Program Administrator at Community Action Partnership of Current, also known as CAPK. As I always mention, since we only have so much time, you can listen to our interview in its entirety on the Real Talk podcast right now at Forge1039.com in all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, everything like that. So, uh, Wilfredo, you can share it uh, with your fam- familia in Puerto Rico. Definitely and then will. they can scold you. Oh, definitely will. They, oh, can, yeah. do it. they can throw a, ch- a virtual chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> You got to come visit us in Puerto Rico, bro. It's so un chocolate, un chocolatazo, but también dicen un cocotazo. It's funny. The family's always said that was that kid right there. He was one who got the most cocotazos because he was always misbehaving. I was like, man, I got bumps on my head. They never go away. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So listen, if you want to learn more about CapK, you should visit capk.org. Find out about the programs that they offer in your community. All these, all this great work, and find out about you know these young professionals that are that are being they're the next mentors. They're the next wave of mentors for young professionals Wilfredo people like Wilfredo Cruz Jr. it's like uh, you know right here with the Chavez Foundation we love to uplift people like uh, Wilfredo because they're doing great work out there you know like I say from uh, Latino to Latino brother we got to help each we got to help our brothers out you know and uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, and our sisters out there and show them the the worth and you know it's all about uplifting the community, right? This world would be a better place if we were willing to help each other. And yeah. one of the biggest things for me is the want and the ability to mentor mm-hmm. the next generations. Because if we don't have mentors, how do they learn? We've already gone through some of those you yeah. know, battles. We've experienced the, the negative stuff. Yeah. We've, we've gone through... You know whether it was the emotional, you know, aspect of it, or the, or the, you know, a corporate aspect of it. We know what's out there. So, like anything, you can teach these lessons to hopefully help them, you know, avoid same situations and, you know, and further progress uh, themselves. And that's, I think, the most important part of this is is being there for those who don't have. Absolutely, absolutely. So once again, I want to thank my brother, right here. Community leader Wilfredo Cruz Jr., Energy Program Administrator at Community Action Partnership of Kern, CapK. Go listen to our interview in its entirety on the Real Talk Podcast, Forge1039.com, and all your podcast platforms. Share it. 
far and wide. Share it to uh, another fellow young professional so that you get to know somebody because you might run into them at a networking mixer and say, hey, I heard, I heard your story on Real Talk Podcast, man. I really like that. You know, um, introduce me to Matt Munoz so I can be on the show, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you have any uh, holiday shout-outs? Any shout-outs to anybody out there? You know what? First and foremost, to my family. Uh, I'm big on family. Family's everything. Family and friends. So uh, to my mom, Ophelia. To my dad, Wilfredo Sr. To my sisters, Rosie, Frieda, my brother, Michael, and Mariah, his wife. Um, thank you. For everything, thank you for always supporting me. I'm looking forward to a lot of food, a lot of laughs, a lot of coffee, a lot of arguments. Because Latinos, we know we like to argue, <laughs> and we love on each other still. Um, but yeah, besides that, just thankful for everything and you know in our lives. And this has been a crazy year, but we're still here, so blessed. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Wilfredo. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to Real Talk right here on Forge 103.9, a new sound. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk Podcast. If you'd like to catch Real Talk on Terrestrial Radio, you can catch the live broadcast every Friday from 10 a.m. to noon on Forge 103.9 FM in the Kern County area. You can also stream the show and podcast from Forge1039.com. And if that's not convenient enough, you can also follow and subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. Technology is amazing. Thanks again.